Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to everybody coming into my home, and welcome to all of you coming from online, SoundCloud, wherever you're coming from, all over the world. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, my name is Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and I come to you from Gospel Saving Church in McKinney, Texas, which is one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. I hope you didn't come here today to be entertained. I hope you didn't come here today to, to hear something that's just going to make you tingly and feel good and all of that stuff, which you may, but I hope you didn't come here for any of that. I hope you came here to hear God's Word. I hope you came here to hear the whole counsel of God's Word. Not just the good candy sweet parts, but also the parts that are so important, the parts that are for our eternal life and for the health of our eternal life. So anyway... That's my spiel. If you guys would please join me for a word of prayer. And let's ask the Lord to help us understand His Word. And, and, and let's ask Him to help His Word to change us. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for your holy and awesome Word. We ask, Lord God, and we pray in Jesus Christ's name, Lord, that you would help us understand your Word. And I pray, Lord, that your Word would change us, Lord. Change the hearts of all of us, your children, Lord, so that we serve you and love you in a stronger and more powerful way, Lord. And I pray that you would also change the hearts of those that are listening that may not be yours. They know it, whether they are or not. Their conscience tells them whether they, maybe they don't want to accept it or admit it, Lord. But down deep they know, Lord, and you know. So I pray, Lord God, wherever anybody is, wherever they stand with you today, Lord, before we start, I just pray that your message would change us. Again, Lord, change us, your children, to love you and be more passionate, more powerful in our love for you and our walk with you and our, our outward walk before others, before you, Lord. And I pray for those that are lost, that their hearts would be changed and that they would come to Christ and they will come to you and honor you and worship you the way that you say to, Lord, not in the way that they've fashioned on their own. Help me to speak this message, Lord. Help it to be clear and understandable, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would help us understand all the things that I have to say today, that you have to say through me today. We love you and praise you and thank you, dear God, and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. Verses 13 through 24, I'll give you a moment to open up your Bibles and get there. I slipped in the title of the sermon today during my opening spiel there. The title of today's sermon is The Whole Council of the Word of God. And you'll understand as I go on about that title and how it you know, fits into the sermon and, and these uh, <clears throat> verses that we're going to study today. So we're going to be, again, Acts 20, chapter 20, verses 13 through 24. So if you guys... Want to read along great with me? You can. If you guys just want to listen along, you can too. But the reading of the word of the Lord, Acts 20, verse 13, we start, and the Bible says this. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Essos. There, intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he, he met us at Essos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios, The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trigalum. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul decided decided to set 
sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me, or happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor will I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to, st- to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Last week, Luke told us about an event that happened between Paul and a fortunate young man who, during about a four to six hour uh, sermon by Paul from about six or eight that night till about midnight, he was sitting in a third story window, this fortunate young man, and of course, he was listening to Paul go on and on and on and on and on, and as you know, four to six and eight hours go on, he falls asleep and fell from the third story window and died. I'm guessing broke his neck. Ouch. Hey, Christians, don't fall asleep, to ch- don't fall asleep in church today. It may be fatal. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, God heals the young man by Paul's healing touch. And in verse 11 of that section informed us that Paul left for his journey after he spoke or taught about this six hours, six, from 6 to 8 o'clock the night before, all the way, remember, till he departed, which would have been sunset, sunrise, excuse me, from 6 to 6.30 at daybreak the next morning. What a sermon. Ten to 12 hours. I've had people complain to me about that I teach one hour. Now, back in that day, Paul just taught a 12-hour sermon. Maybe we should try that one time here. Just kidding, just kidding. Anyway, today in an unusual quick first part of the sermon, normally I kind of go in-depth on all the verses, but you know, sometimes in the Bible we can't really go that in-depth because there's some basic things and they just need to be said basically. So we read about some of the places that Paul travels after he leaves the coastal city of Troas, which was on the northeast tip of Asia. Surprisingly, as we read through this section, you'll see that Paul stays in coastal towns all throughout his travels through Asia. And there's a reason for that you'll see as we go. So please read over Acts 20, verses 13 through 16 with me. We're going to go through that again pretty quickly. And also, if you would please, uh, and I've got it on, I'm going to put it on the website too uh, for you so you can look it along, but I have a pretty comprehensive map that I have there for this sermon. And it details out where Paul travels here today. And I have some, just some, I wanted to show you some basic things on that. Visual effects never hurt. So Acts 20, verse 13 through 21, or for, verses 13 through 16, excuse me. Then we, Luke starts off, and that would be Paul's travel companions only. Uh, How do I know that? Well, context you'll see. So we, as Luke writes, or rather they, Paul's travel companions, they went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. That would be from Troas. There you can see on your map that Assos is just just southwest a little bit from where he was before in Troas, okay? Just a southwest a little bit, still on the coast of Asia. 
there, the Bible says, intending to take Paul on board. Uh, there's your context I spoke of earlier. So they, as travel companions, had gone to Assos from Troas on a boat. While Paul, what he somehow, for some reason, he decided to go there on foot. Not sure why he would have done that, considering why he says that he has this, you know, does travel the way he does here. We'll get to that in a little bit. For so he, the Bible says, Paul had given orders intending himself to go on foot. There's your context again. Paul going on foot from Troas to Assos. His travel companions going to Assos on a boat. Verse 14. And when he, that'd be Paul, met us at Assos, we took him on board and then came to Mytilene. So after Paul meets up with his travel companions in the coastal city of Assos on the outskirts of Asia, he gets on a boat that they're on and then travels to Mytilene together, which is again another coastal city on the outskirts of Asia. Now you can see there, again, Mytilene right there. Is he Troas and then Assos and then Mytilene and then the other cities that he's going to visit. There's, I got a little, I got a, you can see there right there in the middle. Just look for the continent of Asia there on the left-hand side, uh, north and east all along the coast, right? So, also notice that here, Paul hasn't done any going inside of Asia to do any kind of speaking engagements or any kind of encouragement to any Christians, or also he hasn't done any kind of outreach. That's important. Again, we'll see why at the very end of this little section here. Verse 14, so it says, We, then now Paul with his traveling companions, sailed from there, from Mytilene, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trigalum. The next day we came to Miletus. Notice, look, look at the maps that I gave you there. All of the towns that Paul has and his travel companions have traveled through all were coastal cities all on the outskirts of Asia. Why did Paul decide to travel through all these cities in Asia that were on the eastern coastal side of Asia and not venturing through the center of Asia? Paul tells us, or Luke tells us, I should say, verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. He was purposely trying not to go into Asia for he had a purpose. He was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. Paul definitely, uh, by inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, had made a decision to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. That was coming up soon for him. We don't know how long that was. Scripture doesn't give us any dates here. And he didn't want to get caught up in a conversation with anyone, getting wrapped up going to a church or, you know, evangelizing a group of Jews, and then all of a sudden, you know, they ask him to stay, and then, you know, he's got a, he's got a contradiction there in his spirit. He says he already wants to go to Jerusalem. Uh, and he had a purpose, God's purpose, as we'll talk about a little bit later, to be in Jerusalem at this certain time uh, for God's purpose. Now, funny enough here, you look at what Paul did. Paul goes to the outskirts of Asia, traveling with his travel companions, and he dismisses any attempt to go into Asia to talk to anybody, to get into any engagements. Well, it's funny enough because there are different schools of thought on this that we do not compartmentalize God. Like God is everywhere we are and God is in everything we do. And that is true. If you are a real born again Christian, God is in everything you do. He's everywhere you go with you. And we should be shining like lights for him. As I know that Paul was here. But there is another school of thought that a lot of people, and, and I as a younger Christian, did not understand, and I caused myself a lot of pain as, as a younger Christian. I would go out, and, and I know my family is going to be listening to this message, and they're going to be like, amen, yeah, we know, dude, we know, we got it. But as a young Christian, we used to try to go out places as a family. 
Well, as we'd go out as a family, I always had these gospel tracks that I carried along with me wherever we went. And we went to the gas station or the grocery store or, or you know, the, 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 the convenience store or to the lake or whatever, to the movie theater. I would always give out these gospel tracks everywhere we went. And I was purposely trying to go out with my family and spend time with them and love them and, you know, get to know them more and be the dad that I'm supposed to be and be the godly husband I'm supposed to be. And what would happen almost all the time, it never fared, failed on a regular basis, was is I would hand out a gospel tract to somebody else. They'd end up wanting to ask me a question. Well, and then one question led to another, and another question led to another. And then meanwhile, we're at the gas station, and my family's sitting in the car, and I've given out a gospel tract. And an hour later, when I was supposed to be spending time with my family, doing things with them, I'm still talking to Joe or Bob or Larry here uh, at the gas station and talking about Jesus. Now, that's not a good thing to do. Because here we even see Paul. He purposely did not go into Asia so that he did not get caught for hours or days or weeks doing something, preaching the gospel, speaking in churches, because God had a mission for him to go to Jerusalem for a certain reason, as we'll say, you know, as we'll see later. There, there was another time in my life, and, and this is a, was another huge time in my life, where I was a leader in a local church of a, of a street ministry team. And from this lesson I had learned with my family as I was younger and, you know, still learning as I went on, I, I had this rule as I, was, as I was the leader that while we were out ministering from, for God, we did not just socialize and get involved in deep theological or deep, you know, philosophical conversations, and we didn't stop. And, and if we did stop to talk to somebody about Jesus, or when we did stop to talk to them about Jesus, if they were already a Christian and we knew that, you know, pretty quick after we were talking to them, we, we had a rule where, hey, let's, let's break it off. Hey, we love you. Praise God. You know, glad you're walking with the Lord. Keep walking with the Lord. But then we'd move on because the mission that the Lord had for us was to go preach the gospel to people that were not saved or that thought they were saved but really weren't saved. And so I had this rule that, hey, when we were out on the field doing the work for the Lord, that we did not break off and do any socialization. We didn't, we didn't break off and stop for lunch. We didn't, you know, it was, a, it was a mission for God and that's what we were supposed to do. And that's what we were, however many hours we were dedicated to the Lord that night, that's what we did. More moral of the story that I learned that we see Paul even practice here in our first section that there are times that we need to separate to God and Jesus Christ to evangelize and minister to others because that's what God wants a child of his to do that this is something that we're supposed to do it's there's times to evangelize and minister to others for him and then there are times if we have families or let's say we are ministers for God but what we're single but that God may say hey, I want you here, or I want you there, or I want you here for a specific purpose, that we cannot get drawn into doing something else instead of where God wants us to be to minister to someone else in another city or another area or whatever. So again, moral of the story is if we're, if we're working for God in a certain area, then work for God in a certain area. But if we're not working for God in a certain area, and let's say we're spending time with our family, which, by the way, Christian men out there that are listening to me, 
your family is your first ministry, so if you are with your family, don't feel bad if you're not handing out gospel tracts in every restaurant that you go to and at every gas station because your ministry, your first one, is with your family. If you've dedicated time to be with your family, be with your family. God showed me that if I or you dedicate my time to my family to do something with them, then I should not minister to anyone for him and get caught up doing that. And likewise, if I've dedicated my time to him, then I should not hang out with my family or friends and, and have social time, right? Uh, so if I've dedicated my time to, to my God to minister, evangelize others for him, as again, he wants all his kids to do, then I shouldn't rob him of that time by going off and socializing with family, socializing with other Christians. If I'm supposed to be evangelizing the lost, likewise, if I'm with my family, I shouldn't rob my time, rob them of my time by trying to split my time and go over here and do something for God while I'm trying to do something for them. So it was a hard lesson learned. I don't know if God has taught you that yet, but we see that that's, I don't teach you anything that's not in the Bible. And we see there, verse 16 is very plain. It's not just something I'm coming up with. Verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. And we know that if he would have spent time in Asia, he would have been getting caught up in the church or ministering to some Jews or something. And it says, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. And again, that was for a purpose. That was for a reason. And so likewise, we can follow that as he was a godly man and we're supposed to follow God and his men in the Bible. So anyway, it was a hard lesson learned. I hope maybe you learned it today. Anyway, that wraps up the first kind of sort of quick part of the message of Paul's travels and the lesson God's taught me, hopefully you today, that Paul example for us here in this section Let's get, let's get back to our verses of study, shall we? On the idea of Paul's trying to get to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost that was coming up soon, why did I say that God's Holy Spirit, God Holy Spirit inspired him to do this? Skip down. We're going to kind of hodgepodge here in our verses here because it's the points that we're making here that make sense along the way God's led me to teach here. Skip down there to verses 22 and 23 and 24. We're going to look at verses 22 and 23 first as to why God was kind of rushing him to, to be in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. For Paul says, and see, he's talking to the Ephesian elders now, which he's going to call for soon. Now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, await me. Remember how I've been telling you for like the last several weeks or more that when Paul left Ephesus in Acts 20, verse 1, he began the very last journey of his whole life. One that would end up with him going to Jerusalem. Here, that's where he's headed. Being attacked by the Jews, that's going to happen. We'll see as we're coming up. Him being arrested because of the commotion that the Jews, they were trying to kill him, actually, because they didn't like him preaching Jesus Christ. And then while he's in the midst of all that, and while the, the, the Romans are trying to figure out why they're trying to kill him and what's going on, he appeals to Caesar. That's coming up. This is all within the next probably month or two or three, however long it takes me to get through the book of Acts, but this is all coming up where he appeals to Caesar, goes to Rome, and then he finishes out his life where this is extra-biblical, extra-biblical writings. It's not in the Bible where he finishes his life at around 65 A.D. under Nero. Paul doesn't know that he's going to finish his life out yet, as he says there 
in verse 22, I go bound in the spiritual Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. So he doesn't know exactly the things that are going to happen to him. But he does say in verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit says that chains, which he knows he's going to go to prison then, and tribulations, which are lots of troubles for the gospel's sake, are coming for him. So he knows that much. Uh, he may not know that he's going to die yet, but as we see here in our verse 24, we're going to see here, I think he might have known that he's going to die, maybe not know how. There you go. There's where he finally realizes it. I don't know if he realized it before this, but I've been saying it for like weeks on end. There he finally now, verse 22 and verse 23, he says, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going, and I'm basically he's going to say in the rest of his chapter as we go on, he's not going to see him again, and they get, they get sad about that. Well, anyway, he's, he relays this message to the Ephesian Christian elders. Uh, what's Paul's attitude toward loving and serving God in Jesus Christ that he, that he would give everything? He, he's going to Jerusalem. He knows bad is going to happen to him. He knows terrible things. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows tribulations are going to happen to him, but he, he, he feels a call anyway. What, what is his attitude toward this? Well, we see it in verse 24, but Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's how he felt. He didn't care about his earthly life. And, and as so much as that, verse 24, remember I told you to keep your finger on verse 23. Look at verse 24, our last verse of today. We, we won't read it again. Here's now we're going to get to it. But none of these things move me, as he goes on to say, about the tribulations and the chains that weigh for him in Jerusalem. None of these things move me, nor will I count my life dear to myself. Hey, if I live or if I die, goes on to say, other than so, I, so that I may finish my race with joy. Well, that race would be his life, right? At the end of his life. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That would be Jesus Christ coming, living a perfect life, dying, rising again to save men from sin and death and hell. He counted his life as nothing except, or again, as he says there, I love the way he says it, except for to finish the race that the Lord Jesus Christ gave him. And he didn't care if that meant sufferings. He didn't care if it meant tribulations. He didn't care if it meant serving God, Jesus Christ, and others and, uh, until the end of his very strength or, or even the his end of his life. He didn't care. And that's the kind of attitude he had. He loved God and Jesus Christ so much that he was going to do what Jesus Christ told him to do no matter what, even though it may have even costed him, which kind of he says there, that he kind of realizes that that's going to happen. And he says there, I don't count my life as nothing, right? I don't count my life as dear to myself, even though it was going to cost him his life. He, he knew that his following Christ's call to Jerusalem meant bad things for him physically and for his life, but he didn't care because he loved God and Jesus Christ just that much. Uh, Christians, what kind of love do you have for God in Jesus Christ? What kind of love and sacrifice do you have for Him and for your families and for your, your beloved dear brothers and sisters in Christ in the church? I just recently had to check my flesh, so I'm sure, you know, the Bible says all sin is common to all men, so I just had to recently check my flesh as I had a really tribulation, really, really terrible, not, I don't want to say terrible, really difficult week at work. A lot of sun, a lot of heat, a lot of, 
a lot of heart, you know, a lot of heartache, a lot of a lot of everything just draining on me. Just a lot of everything bad. People at one another's throats and just not just not a good situation. And there I come home and then I help another brother and then I got to serve I don't I'm that I'm serving my family and then I'm serving the Lord and I'm trying to prepare this message and yesterday was a really not such a good day for a time. I, I kind of got up and I thought, when, when do I ever do anything for myself? When do I ever just relax myself? When do I ever, you know, do this? I'm always going here and going there and doing this and doing that. And I kind of got a really bad attitude about the service to the Lord. And as I was, of course, getting this bad attitude, I was trying to finish my message for today's sermon. And so I was having a really bad attitude. And then as I'm having this bad attitude and I'm I'm feeling having this pity party for myself and feeling bad for myself. Then I'm I'm going through this section of the Bible, and, and I'm reading over because I had already had these verses in there. Uh, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. Uh, and for to me to live, you know, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And and, and we're going to see here how he loved. Uh, the Ephesians in their church as we go on in this message. And I'm looking at this message going, wow, here I am crying that I've got, I'm tired and I, I'm weak and oh, I've done this and I've done that, but I'm, not, but I'm not even going to Jerusalem to die for my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not even going, that's not going to happen to me. So I had to kind of whack. I kind of had to slap myself and go, you know what, you're being a baby. Shut up, flesh, and just move on for the Lord. And so anyway, I was wrong for the way I was. And you know, Christians, it's really easy to get focused on me. Me, 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 all me. Oh, woe is me. Oh, I'm so busy this and so busy that. But if you're living a life exhausted for Jesus Christ, doing the things that he wants you to do, God has so much reward for you waiting in heaven. And he's looking in heaven going, as long as we stay the course, well done, well done, good and faithful servants. So be thinking about those words. Maybe you're going through a tough time in life, and maybe you've been pitying yourself. Maybe you've been like, oh, woe is me. I just don't got any energy, and I'm so tired, and I'm always serving everybody else. Whoa, 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 whoa. Tell your flesh to shut up, because you know what? It's just your flesh. Uh, joy, I've heard it before, and it's a beautiful picture of, a, of joy, of the way, an acronym that uses the words, uses the letters joy, J-O-Y, and joy is Jesus, others, and yourself. And truly, if I do serve myself, because sometimes I am able to do that, really that's only just a fleeting joy. But when I serve my family, when I serve the Lord, when I serve others, that's a joy that lasts. When I think of all the things that I'm able to do and I've done for the Lord, for my family, and for Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, it's such a lasting joy. So here, I had to repent yesterday. I don't know if you need to repent today, but that's how Paul counted his life. Hey, whatever happens to me, it doesn't matter to me. My beloveds, I'll finish this little section, Paul, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose that's what I meant about the well done coming, of course, as we continue the race. All right, getting back up. Go back up to verse 17. We'll read the rest of our verses now. Not all at once, of course, but we'll finish out the, the normal course there, not skipping ahead anymore. But go back to verse 17 where Paul, now remember, he's traveled to the coastal city of Miletus on the eastern side of the outskirts of Asia to see just how he connects 
with the Ephesian elders to speak with them. Verse 17, he says this just simply, simple as it could be. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. Remember, he didn't want to go through Asia, so he sends to Ephesus, and he calls for the elders of the church. So remember, he didn't want to go through Asia to get caught up. That was my whole big thrust in the first part of the message. He didn't want to go through Asia to get caught up, so instead he, he hangs out in Miletus, which is a coastal town, on his way to Jerusalem. He sends to Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is about 50 miles inland from the coastal city of Miletus, which is where Paul and his travel companions were. Both cities, by the way, are still in existence today. That's pretty cool. So do they come to him? I mean, do, does he expect these, these Christians that he loved and he served and he lived for as he was living for Christ, do they come to him? Verse 18, and when they had come to him, he said, you know from the first day that I came to Asia and what manner I always lived among you. Paul calls for the Ephesian elders to take the trek to Miletus, the 50-mile trek to Miletus, instead of the other way around, again, because he didn't want to get trapped inland, right? He had a mission for God, and they loved him just as much as he loved them. And so they come to him. They don't even ask any questions. This is the love that Paul had for them and they had for Paul. Ephesus must have been a really tough place for Paul to leave, although we'll see as he... Um, what happened to him there. Nonetheless, it must have been a tough place for him to leave because he loved those people. He loved those Christians in that place so much. And he begins his discourse with them once they get there, a discourse that I have already said that will leave him in tears by the end. We won't get there today. Verse 18, though, his discourse starts with this. You know from the first day that I came to Asia and what manner I always lived among you. Simple enough, right? Takes him back to the first time they met and the ways in which he was living when he first got there. Simple enough. Moving forward. Look at how exactly he says that he lived among them. And, and, and this will be a place where I'll spend some time. And, and this is also a place that we can reflect as, as although we're followers of Jesus Christ, we are all also called to follow one another if we're living super godly lives in Christ Jesus. So Paul is one of those guys that we can look to and say, hey, I, this is the way as a Christian that I should be living my Christian life for Jesus. So read verse 19 to start. He says this, serving the Lord, he's telling them how he lived among them, serving the Lord, this is, he's talking about personally now, with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me, by the plotting of the Jews. What a guy this Apostle Paul fella really was. The first thing, he, the first thing he tells him here is he served the Lord with all humility. What is humility? Humility is not being prideful, not being stuck up, being, you know, if somebody needs help, being there for them in sincerity, in compassion. Humility is love. Humility is, don't look at me, hey, I'm just here for Christ, what can I do for you? How can I serve you, my brother or my sister? Humility says, how can I serve you? Pride says, what can you do for me? And so Paul here says that he served the Lord, not they served him, he served the Lord with all Humility. Now that alone is such a powerful idea when you consider one huge aspect of Paul. And the aspect of Paul, well, you know what, I'll just let you tell it. I'll just let him tell it. Galatians 2.9. Uh, listen to what Paul says here, uh, what, what this huge aspect of, of why it was so big that he was still humble. 
Galatians 2.9. And when James, Cephas, and John, so James, Peter, and John, this is Paul speaking, Galatians 2.9, who seemed to be pillars, that would be pillars of the Christian faith. They, they, were, the, the, they were three of Jesus' top men. Wherever, if Jesus went somewhere, he had 12 apostles, but he took Peter, James, and John. They were like his inner circle big three, right? So when these big three, what Paul is saying here in Galatians 2.9, when these big three, these pillars of the Christian faith, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So Peter, James, and John, the big original big dogs, right? The big three, those that walked with Christ himself. Peter was like one of the rocks of the church of Christ, right? They made Paul and Barnabas equal apostles to themselves. Same as they were. Paul never walked with Christ. Peter, James, and John, and the other nine, or the other eight, they did. Judas killed himself, remember. So this is super wow, impressive. Why? Because he said he served the Lord with all humility, with a humble servant's heart, serving the Lord, you know, literally pouring himself out to the teaching and, and being an example to how these guys are supposed to live in Jesus Christ. Yet, he was equal to the elite Big 11, yet he literally poured himself out to service to these Ephesian Gentiles. Now, now, if you seem to remember biblically, Jews didn't even like Gentiles. So the, the fact that Paul, now he's, 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 he's now in the elite of all the Christian church. He's like with the heads of the heads of the heads of the heads right below Christ. And yet he's serving and pouring himself out to Gentiles in Ephesus, Asian Gentiles. That is amazing. He, he served them as followers of Christ in the church, and I'm sure he also had a little hand in bringing them to the Lord. As I remember, he went to Ephesus and he preached the gospel. He's one of the ones that started the church in Ephesus to begin with. Yet as he had every right, think of this, to sit in the church and in his exalted seat there in Ephesus and give orders, which guess what? Him being at the, basically at the right and left hands of the elites of the Christian church, they would have had to obey, being part of the Christian church. He chose rather not to give orders, but rather to choose to serve them and to pour himself out to love to them. And again, I know that we, that we are, we're supposed to follow Jesus Christ, but following Paul, Paul emulates here in Ephesus exactly what the man, the man, the man, the man, Jesus Christ says in Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called them, which would be his original 12 apostles, to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And this is what we're talking, this is this part of the sermon we're talking about right now, right? And those who are great exercise authority over them. Paul could have done that. Verse 26, Yet shall, it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him become your servant. And this is what Jesus Christ did with his apostles, with those that came to him, and this is what he taught his apostles on how to be toward others. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom 
for many. Well, Paul took Jesus Christ's words literally and seriously, and he followed them to the T, and we see it with his first profession to the Ephesian elders. He loved and served them tirelessly, not considering his prominent position for God and his prominent position in the Christian church to be anything. Rather, he obeyed Jesus Christ's teachings and loved and served them with his literal actions. He also told us in verse 19 of the circumstances he loved and served them under. This is even a more awesome aspect of how much he loved them and why we see them not ask questions and they take the 50-mile trek to Miletus from, from Ephesus. Verse 19, he says he served them with many tears and trials which happened to him by the plotting of the Jews. Now, we never read about many plots of the Jews to kill him in Ephesus, but again, you have to understand one section of Scripture may not always give the full picture of what an apostle or what a man or a woman of God went through. If we go to 1 Corinthians 15, 32, Paul says this, if in the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now, between Acts 20, 19 and 1 Corinthians 15, 32, we know that Paul had a terrible time in Ephesus, even though we don't read about it in the book of Acts, how bad he had it there we read other sections of scripture that tell us how bad he really had it there. Beasts of Ephesus, that doesn't sound like a good time. So not only was Paul at the very pinnacle of Christ's church, but he also served, poured himself out for them in love and humility, and had to do it all through many attacks that the Jews were throwing his way. Now on that idea, the, a very, the, the very serious note I was kind of alluding to just a few moments ago, it's easy to love and serve others and God when things are going your way, right? When things are great, when, when people approve of you, when, wow, I'm on the top of the hill and all the bills are paid and, oh, you know, everybody's healthy. Ah, praise the Lord. Let me serve you with strong might. But it's a whole different ball game when you serve and love God and others through hard times, through when you're not feeling good. Well, I don't know how we're going to make rent this month. Man, it's been tight. I, you know, the boss cut my hours this week, and I don't, but I know, God, you got me. But it's hard to serve God and serve others through those times. It really reminds me what Paul did here, how he served through those tough times. It reminded me of the old saying, and then I'm going to check you with this one, too, because I have to check myself with this one here, too. But a true test of a soldier is in wartime, not peacetime. That means that do you really love Jesus Christ enough to serve him and serve others even in the midst of the war, even in the midst of the hard times? You're not feeling good. Things are not going so well at work. You know, people are, are on you for this or that and the other thing. Maybe they're persecuting you for your Christian faith. But it's sure easy to serve him in peacetime. But a true soldier serves even in the midst of the hard times. And Paul showed himself to be a true soldier for Jesus Christ in Ephesus, serving them even through the most difficult times. Christians, do you do the same? This is how God wants us to serve. Suck it up and get serving the Lord, even though things are tough. Your reward will be great. Look at the details of how exactly he poured himself out in love to them. Verse 20. He says this, 
And, and after all I've said, the things that he says in the next verse or two or three, really, they really hit home to me. I'm not sure if you realize how big they are, but he says this, verse 20. He, he said he served them, all these attacks by the Jews, the plotting of the Jews. How I kept, here's how, verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. He says that he held nothing back that was helpful. That's important. And that would be in the context. What was he? He was a preacher of the Bible, of course. He was a preacher of God's Word, right? This means that when he says, I held nothing back from you for all that is good, that means that he taught him, here's the title of the sermon, the whole counsel of God's Word. And not only did he teach him the whole counsel of God's Word, which is already tough enough as it is, I'll get to that in a little bit, but he taught him, number one, he says, out in the open in public, and number two, from house to house, or in the private houses of the church members. Now, the private houses from the church members, that's not going to be a real difficult one, but <laughs> the ones that the one that is difficult is, he was teaching his, his congregants out in public. And now those may not seem like difficult things to do, but let me tell you they are. For, for starters, the fact that he taught them the word of God, both in public and private, means that despite the evil intentions and attacks by the Jews, he was still bold enough to be with his congregation out in public, shining like a light for Jesus Christ, teaching Jesus Christ as God's Messiah, which is what the Jews hated about him. Now, ask yourself this. The, the hard part about teaching in public, do you think attackers are more, uh, are more apt or, or more probable uh, to attack you when you're hiding inside of the church and when your light's kind of dim, you know, or you're in somebody's house, or when you're out in the open? And when you're in, the say, the, the city square or the park square and you're teaching uh, your congregants and you're also kind of teaching those who you know are there that aren't followers of Christ and you're teaching them the things uh, that you believe that you know that they hate, uh, which one do you think you're going to get more attacked for doing? Well, you, you will get attacked, and in a lot of Muslim countries, you get attacked for both. But realistically, if we're thinking logic, we're using logic here, we're going to get more attacked by doing it out in public, right? You know, when the light shines in the darkness, the Gospel of John says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. And today, the darkness attacks it. Okay, the darkness wants to put out the light. The darkness doesn't want the light to keep going on. The darkness wants to, to stuffle the light, right? And so, yet it's huge. He would teach them in public to share Jesus Christ and his truths with them, his own congregants, as well as to be evangelical towards those who were lost in the city of Ephesus to try to win them for Jesus Christ. And that's huge. And that's huge. I think more churches should say, hey, let's go have a sermon right out in the middle of the, in the city park. Not, not give up the brick-and-mortar church, of course. That's our, that's our home base. But say, hey, you know what? Maybe a, week, maybe a week every month. We go out, and we go out in the, in, the, in the city, and we go out just into some square where a lot of people are, and then we have our sermon out there. Just a thought. 
Just a thought. Anyway, that's the first detail I see there. The second is even toucher from a te- teacher of the Bible's perspective. Remember, Paul just told them that he held nothing back of all that was helpful, and that would be in regards to teaching them, remember, the whole counsel of God's Word. Well, it's really easy for any biblical teacher, and I can tell you this from first-hand perspective, to teach their congregations or anybody what we call in the kind of the preacher profession is the easy, smooth, candy stuff of God's Word, right? And and teaching God's Word this way, I'm telling you, when I talk about Jesus' love and His sacrifice and His promises and and an eternity in heaven forever and an eternal life of the follower of Jesus Christ and what heaven's going to be like and there's no more tears and no suffering and all the list can go on. When I talk about those things, oh man, I get giddy. People, oh man, praise the Lord. I've not been preaching and I've had more amens and praise the Lord for, oh man, think of what it's going to be like in heaven. Oh, I've had more praises and amens for those things and which makes people feel giddy and childlike and me too, uh, you know, other than some other things about the word of God that I've taught. These topics, as I said, are considered the smooth, sweet candy treats of God's Word, or or in other words, the non-offensive parts of God's Word, right? These Jesus' love and heaven, all the things I just talked about. And and all those, these are wonderful topics that get everyone all giddy and happy and tingly feeling all over, even including the teacher, and they are helpful. I'm not going to discount them. They're awesome and they're necessary. But they're not the only topics of God's Word that make up the whole counsel of the Word of God, or what Paul, he said, I held nothing back. I taught you the candy, and I also gave you the vegetables. I gave you the potatoes. We also had the meat. And along with that, we had the cookies and the ice cream and the cakes, but we got to have the Brussels sprouts. We got to have the carrots and the broccoli. Right, we got to have all those. And that's what Paul said, that while he was even out there, he didn't hold anything back. While he was in their houses, while he was in the streets and the squares, he taught them everything about God's Word. And, and Paul would have taught these smooth, sweet candy treats as well of God's Word, but, but he just reminded them here that he held nothing back of the whole counsel of the Word of God, which means that he also taught them the hard and difficult topics of God's Word that are helpful, right? Knowing Paul, I probably think that he taught the difficult, hard things of God's Word more than he taught the sweet candy, but you know, and I say that he did because of the things that he admits in Scripture that he teaches, and as well as the last verse of today, the the one last verse we're going to close on, we're really going to meditate on it, we're going to spend the rest of our time in this sermon talking about the hard, difficult thing that he says that he taught, verse 21, our last verse, read it with me please testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, which is ironically the most helpful thing any true teacher of the Word of God can teach anyone everywhere. But 
This is not considered the smooth candy and ice cream teaching of God's Word. I teach on the hard and difficult topic of repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ often and in many different ways because there's many different ways to talk about that idea. And probably like Paul, I probably teach the hard or difficult things of God's Word more than I teach the candy because biblically it is the most helpful to teaching God's Word totally, but it is also super helpful to teach someone this topic of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You see why, the reason is why, is because you see repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ is where somebody starts a relationship with God. That's how someone comes to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That's when somebody comes and gets saved. That's how somebody can be born again. And Jesus said in John chapter 3, no one will see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. So it's where somebody starts their relationship with God, but it is also biblically the way that we as true believers in Christ continue to have a relationship with Jesus Christ once we are saved, once we are born again. So I will say that it's important to have repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ to stay saved. And it's absolutely critical that we do it. And even as good as all that sounds, right, who wouldn't want to be saved for all eternity, right? I mean, my gosh, have heaven and God's promises and so on and so forth. Sadly to say, but the teaching of, <coughs> excuse me, but the teaching of repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, which is, again, the way to have salvation and stay saved, is not a welcomed teaching today. The whole counsel of God's word, because of the difficult, hard teachings, are in fact, as a whole in the church and in our world, very unpopular teachings today. The majority of people in churches don't want to hear repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So unwelcomed is the teaching of this repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ that it's made me a very unpopular preacher and teacher. Uh, Most people that come and they visit Gospel Saving Church, I teach the hard things of God's Word. I teach the whole counsel of God's Word, not just the candy, and that's what people want to hear. And so many just don't come back. I pray for them every day. I pray for them because if they don't want the difficult things of God's Word, well, what happens to somebody if you just want to have cake and ice cream and cookies all the time? If you never want to eat the Brussels sprouts, if you never want to eat the beans and the peas and the broccoli and the carrots, what happens to somebody? What's not healthy for your body? Nor is it healthy for the body of a person or the spiritual body of a person to only do the sweet candy treats of God's Word and only focus on them without the hard and difficult topics of the Bible like repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Now, Repentance toward God and faith toward Lord Jesus Christ, a very unpopular topic today, but one that is the most helpful for all the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Bible. It's unpopular today because it's God's way of salvation, and honestly, and I'm going to dissect it so you'll understand what I'm saying here, it's so unpopular because it pricks the very center of the very core nature of people's hearts. And because it does, people don't want to hear it. And instead of obeying God's way to be saved, which is repentance toward Him and faith in Jesus Christ, they make up some humanistic ways that they believe that they can be saved by. And it's really sad because there's only one way to be saved, and that comes from God and not man. 
So why does the salvation teaching of repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ prick the center of the core nature of people's hearts? Well, the Bible says that we as humanity, all humanity from the time after Adam and Eve were, well, Adam and Eve weren't born, they were created, but then their children, that we were, that were all born as our own gods, rulers, lords, masters of our own lives. That's how we're born. The Bible says actually the, the natural man that we are born is at enmity with God. So our, our natural man is actually enemy toward God. And that's how we're born. And because we are born as our own gods, rulers, lords, masters of our own lives, we serve as a result of that. And it's easy to see. Just look around the world. Really easy. We serve who? Self. Right? Who, who do we long to serve? Who do we strive to serve? Who do we want to make happy? What was I just talking about today? I had to repent over because as a follower of Christ, that's not something that's for me. Right? But I was wanting to make myself happy. That's the natural man. That is how we are born. And what makes our self happy is to serve the passions of the lusts of our flesh. That's what makes our flesh, our self, happy, right? Our physical self happy. Whether it be whether you try or, or whether I used to, I don't anymore, or whether you still do, whether it be sex or drugs or money or getting stuff or, or whatever makes yourself, your flesh person happy, that's how people, you look, look along, look at the whole world, you, you, it's easy to see, that's how people live. But believe, and believe it or not, but this even goes for religious people that serve a God. Um, it's, it's a God, whether it's Buddhists or, or Hindus or Muslims or, or Sheik or whatever. They serve a God of their own making and not the God of all creation, the God of the Bible, or even serving the God of the Bible but doing it the way they want. Like, oh, I know Jesus Christ, I, I know God, but, you know, I don't think you have to do all those things. I, I think, and there's where it gets dangerous, because when you hear, well, I think, that means that it's, well, I'm serving that God, I think he'll be happy with the way I live. Well, and then I'd ask them, well, what about the ways he says, oh, you know, I know that, you know, the Bible's outdated. We can't really trust the Bible. It's, it's been outdated. It's been 2,000 years old. We can't, yeah, that was written by a man. See, I love Jesus Christ because I do, and blank, 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 and those blanks aren't even in the Bible, but they still think that they love God and Jesus Christ of the Bible, even though he, Jesus said, if you love me, you do the things I say. I say, not do the things you think. Right? So all these things, really, what they're doing, they're serving the God of their own making. Though they may call him God of the Bible or Jesus Christ of the Bible, they serve him the way they want, which is the God of their own making, a God that will let them serve him whatever they want. Okay? And that's dangerous because, again, Jesus Christ said, if you love me, do the things that I say. Where do we get the things that he says in his words? So, you see, but it's all to make the flesh, me, self, happy. Right? That's what they're doing. They're, they're serving the God of the Bible the way they want to because that makes them happy. That's right. 
So you see, that's why they're doing, well, this hard attitude anyway of the unredeemed person, of the person that's not saved in God's eyes, this hard attitude and lifestyle of us as our own gods and lords, and etc., and how we live to please ourselves is in rebellion to or stands against the creator of the universe because he wants to be the God of our lives and hearts, and yet we won't let him. And because of that, we're sending ourselves to hell. That's, that's the sad part. And the teaching of repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that if we want to be saved and go to heaven when we die and have a relationship with the God of all creation, Jesus Christ, which is what he wants, we must stop being the gods and rulers and lords and masters of our own lives and our own hearts. Well, what does it mean to repent towards God and put our faith in Jesus Christ that goes against the nature of self as God? Well, the repentance towards God, the God of the Bible, is that you Hey, you realize, you come to a realization, like if you heard me talking, and that's you. We're like, well, yeah, I know Jesus Christ, but I, I don't believe in the Bible, and I, you know, I just serve him how I want to. Well, that's, that's an enmity, hard attitude against God. God's not going to save you because you're trying to get to heaven your own ways and not the way Jesus Christ said. Again, Jesus Christ says, if you love me, do the things which I say, not the things you think are good to serve me. Do the things which I say. And so repentance toward God is realizing, hey, you realize, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Wow. I didn't realize that me wanting to serve God like I want to or me serving the God of Buddha or, or Hinduism or Allah of, of Islam, I didn't realize that was, had me at enmity with God, God of the Bible. Wow. And then that's you realizing you're wrong and then in your inward, man, your heart of hearts, inside you go, you know what? I don't want to be at enmity with God, the Creator God. And then you, what you do is, repentance is when you take a stand in your heart, I'm paraphrasing, the, the actual definition is to have a, a heart change, a mind change towards God. But putting it into words that we can all understand is you take a stand uh, to turn your heart and your mind away from being the God, the ruler, the Lord, the master of your own life and heart, and you turn to the God of the Bible, admitting you're wrong, and apologizing to him. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Or I didn't realize that I was living as an enemy against you. And you apologize. That begins our road or journey towards salvation. But we're still not saved. We're on a good path. If that's you and you've just done that, that's the good path. But we're not saved yet still until we do the second part. We don't get saved until we decide to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible and make a decision to follow him because he is God's plan, his only plan for salvation. Uh, Jesus Christ said it perfectly in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, speaking to, hey, this is what I want you to teach people. Hey, and this is what I'm teaching anybody that's going to read my word now. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Well, what did we just talk about? We're born as what? Our own rulers. Denying yourself is you taking your, yourself off the throne of your heart, off the leadership of your life, and you what? Deny yourself. Then he goes on to say, take up his cross and follow me. Stop being the Lord of your life. Repent to God. Tell him you're sorry. Then come to me and put me on the throne of your life. Remember, Jesus Christ is God's only way of salvation. 
and come and follow Jesus Christ. For whoever desires to save his life, meaning I want to be the Lord of my life now, hey, I want to be the ruler, he says he's going, you're going to lose it. This is what we've been talking about. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loses his life, whoever says, you know what, I'm going to let go of the control that I have on my life. I'm going to stop being the God, the Lord, the ruler, the king, the, the master of my own life, and I'm going to put Jesus Christ on my throne. I'm going to start to follow Jesus Christ. And he says, if you do that for his sake, he says, then you'll find it. Now, I don't know where you stand with the God of the Bible today and his way to be saved and stay saved, which is Jesus Christ and repentance toward God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. But I know where he wants you to stand. And that's, I'm sorry, God, for I don't follow Jesus Christ. And I realize that I am who a wretched man and I am against you. And then a turning toward Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus, I need you. Please save me. I'm making a decision today. And you make that in your heart of hearts. It's not, and you don't even have to necessarily say anything. But you make it in your heart of hearts and you say, you know, Jesus Christ, I want to follow you. Please be my Lord. And you can speak that. You can think that. But that's called the inward heart change of repentance. Repentance is not stopping sinning or I'm going to start being and living a better life and a good moral life. It's, wow, I am a wretched person that stands against God. I need Jesus Christ. And then you're turning to him, making him the Lord, putting him on the throne of your life. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow him, right? That means he wants you to surrender to him as Lord and make him the master. And repent. So stop being the Lord over your own life. So stop taking control of your own life and put your faith in him to save you. Put your faith in him to have a relationship with him. And then follow Jesus Christ and obey his teachings, which are found in the word of God in the New Testament. Many today call themselves Christians by mouth. But when you look at their lifestyles, they live for themselves. And their lives they live are lived fulfilling the passions of their flesh. And all God is is a, hey, if I get in trouble, oh, God, help me. There, there's one of them. And, 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 and the other one is, oh, praise the Lord. Whenever whatever happens, you know, something, anything good. Oh, praise the Lord. And that's as far as the extent of maybe some Bible verses here and there, but mostly to the extent of who they live for is seen by the lifestyle they live, and that's their flesh. And that's to please themselves. And to be saved, Jesus Christ said that, that we must stop being the Lord and Master of our lives, make Him the Lord and Master of our lives, which is you repenting from the service of yourself, and beginning to read God's word in the New Testament, especially in surrendering to Jesus Christ and beginning to follow him and obey him and his teachings on a daily basis. God's calling you right now if this is you and he's waiting for you to begin a beautiful, intimate relationship with him today. Turn to Jesus Christ, please, if this is you and be saved today and make a decision in your heart of hearts to follow him, not just to know of him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your awesome word. Thank you so much, as I prayed even earlier today, thank you so much, Lord God, that you give us these, these awesome promises and these awesome things. You give us these directions. Lord, you could just have let us know about them and then not given us a way to attain them. 
Lord, here in your word, you give us a way to have them. You show us the, the direction, the map, in order how to get to the path of righteousness with you, of repentance in you, truth in you, salvation in you, relationship in you. You give us that way. God in heaven, I pray, please, right now, Lord God, that you would touch the hearts of those listening to this message right now, if they're not yours. And I pray, dear God in heaven, that you would bring them to you that they would realize that they live it as an enemy of yours. Not, not by you wanting them to, but because that's how they're born and that's how they've been living and that's just who they are. They're their own masters and lords and, uh, and gods of their own lives. But Lord, that they can't give themselves eternal life. Only Jesus Christ gives eternal life. So God, please help people make that turn today and come to Christ and fall on their knees and repent and decide to begin to follow Jesus Christ and stop living for themselves. We thank you, Lord God. We love you and we praise you. And thank you, Lord, also for all the good and many awesome lessons that we as your children, as those of us out there that are listening to this message are your true children, Lord, that we got to hear about you and the things we got to learn about today that we can work on in our lives with you. I pray that we would be able to accomplish those difficult ways to live for you, Lord God, more and more each and every day as we continue to live on. We love you and praise you and thank you, Lord God. And ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.